Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. Today we're here with Matthew Tate. Matthew is the Director of Business Development on the West Coast for Retail Strategies. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Danny. I'm excited to be here. Danny, just like you, I, I started my life in, in California. Actually, it was in Northern California in, in the Sacramento area, Rockland, California. I went to school in, in Arkansas uh, and fell in love with a girl who actually was from the Central Valley of California. And it was at that moment that I realized that I'd be moving to Texas. So I'm in Fort Worth, but I, I do represent the West Coast. But uh, so we have that in common. I'm glad to have you. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with retail strategies, maybe they're in a community that, that where economic development is not driven by sales tax. What is retail strategies? We, we really have three main verticals, but we work primarily to increase sales tax revenue, improve quality of life. And, you know, that could be through, through retail jobs. That could be through um, a lot of different avenues, really. But um, we also work with downtowns to help uh, revitalize, become more walkable, more pedestrian friendly. Uh, and then lately, we've been extremely popular with our small business support programs through COVID, getting small businesses online, getting them to function like your, say, like your wing stop, you know, getting online, being convenient, stuff like that. So and that's, that's who Retail Strategies is. We're based out of Birmingham and have some, some folks all over the country. But uh, that's, that's what we do. We help, help cities that want to attract business or retain business or just support their local businesses. So do you provide the organization with strategies or do you do the actual work, you know, going out and recruiting or how yeah. does that part work? Great question. So for every one of our platforms that we offer, every one of our uh, verticals, I guess you could say, everything we do, we believe in human resources. So we believe in not just giving you a study, right? Everyone says that now, not a study, it's just going to sit on a shelf, but we put together a plan uh, that could be through data. And most, all of our plans are going to be asset-based plans. So, you know, what's a win for one community is not a win for another, whether that's downtown, whether that's retail recruitment, whether that's small business support. So it's really meeting a community where they're at, putting a plan together that's unique for them. And then our team, of experts actually helps carry out the, that plan. Or we proactively recruit retail. We have a, a, a team that leads the implementation for our downtown revitalization services. And then in small business support, it's literally our team offering up, you know, assistance to property owners or walking them through the food and beverage industry and how to recover and how how to grow incubators, stuff like that. So yeah, it's all led by our team. So. From the very beginning, I'd imagine you come out and interview stakeholders and community groups and sort of get a feel for what the community really is interested in. Do communities come to you uh, thinking they need one thing and you tell them they, after talking to everybody, that they really need something else? Yeah. You know, typically in, in like the downtown, for example, if we're going to talk about revitalizing, revitalizing a downtown, most downtowns, you know, the folks that have been there for a long time will, will come in and they want to tell us about the lack of parking or no public restrooms or, you know, things that folks around city hall would hear and get tired of every day. But when we come out of it with, we lead conversation, we try and be productive through, throughout those conversations say, okay, 
you know, here's, here's what you, here's what you said you guys want to achieve. Uh, and here's the steps of how to taking that, you know, or how to achieve that, how to execute that vision from a, from a retail recruitment standpoint, every city in the country right now wants a Trader Joe's. And so, you know, they come to us a lot to say, you know, what's it going to take to get a t- Trader Joe's? I, I joke to say that I could probably make a, a living off of telling people, no, they can't get a Trader Joe's, right? Or here's what it's going to take to get one. And so, so to your original question, yeah, I mean, people come to us all the time wanting a specific grocery store to fill the need or a, a specific sit-down restaurant. But there's a lot of retailers that are big time in expansion mode right now, and people are overlooking them. And that's what we try and draw their attention to is what is that low-hanging fruit? Who are they and, and how can we get them to, to visualize and, and land in your community? What are some examples of, you know, low-hanging fruit that maybe are generally applicable to communities across country? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the classic example are dollar stores, right? The Dollar General, the Family Dollar, Dollar Trees. I can't tell you how many times, for as, as many times as I get, we want to Trader Joe's, I also get, but we don't want any dollar stores, right? So that's followed up. They go hand in hand. And that could be a town of 2,000, right, that has no retail footprint at all. They don't understand, and a lot of folks don't understand that crawl, walk, run, and retail, right? And so you might have to accommodate a Dollar General and show that your citizens are going to support it and spend money there before some other retailer is going to take that it's more desire is going to take that chance on your community. Right. So the crawl, walk, run and retail is, is very real. Um, you know, and so, so I try and educate communities in, in a lot of our conversations on getting away or detaching yourself from, from the name brand, if you will, and, and think more about, the jobs that will come to your community, think more about the, the sales tax that can be generated from that retailer. And then, you know, another side point that I, I make a lot of times is Dollar General, McDonald's, a lot of these guys are kind of the starting point for real estate directors who want to really do big things in their career. And so they will remember you when you treated them poorly when they were at Dollar General, but now they're working for Trader Joe's. They will remember, they will take note. And they're not going to want to work with your community if you treat them poorly. So I try to educate people on a lot of those things to, to, to not get tunnel vision focused on the brand name themselves, but to think about what the impact this can do for our community. You know, a dollar general, the sales tax from that is going to pave potholes. It's going to give our police officers raises, right? So it's going to serve a purpose and it's just, you know, strategically put them in a good spot in your community. And I think you'll be happy. Crawl, walk, run. That's a, that's a good analogy. So basically you're saying that starting at nothing, you can't go out and recruit Trader Joe's. You, you got to br- start bringing in some retail so that other retailers then see it and know that, you know, it gets on their radar and they recognize that it's a place that maybe they want to do business. Is that sort of the thing? What, right. what else goes along with that? Well, so... Retail begets retail. I mean, so we talk about crawl, walk, run. We talk about, you know, that, that co-tenancy, right? So a lot of the times we'll, we'll be talking in a, a small community that has maybe a McDonald's or a Taco Bell. You know, it's, it's trade show season. So we'll be going to all the trade shows to talk to retailers. And, and one thing that all QSRs know for the most part is what the, and when I say QSR, it's quick service restaurant, but all QSRs know what the other QSRs are doing in your community. And so Someone like McDonald's, if they see a Taco Bell in your community or vice versa, and you meet them at a trade show, they're going to ask you, well, how's that performing? How's that McDonald's performing? And if, if you have any inclination of how it's, that can often move the needle and get a site visit, right, from, from the director of real estate. And so 
a lot of times, for example, Taco Bell knows if McDonald's is doing 1.5 million in that in that location, they know exactly what they'll do as well. And so that could be what it takes for them to to come look at your location. That makes sense. So in the you know 10 years or so that you've been doing this, I'm sure you've been in communities that you know brought you in to to lead this effort. And maybe after talking to the stakeholders, you got the idea that the community as a whole didn't want any retail, you know, didn't want to change. What do you do in that situation? Yeah, that's, and that's pretty common right now, especially as hopefully we're coming on the pandemic, but you know, with the kind of the, the rural areas and the re I'm calling the re ruralization with people leaving the, the big major markets and going to these rural areas. Now people are more than ever looking at what they can do in their own community and how they can make themselves more attractive to the people that that potentially might live work and and play there right and so we're starting to see a lot of trends with retailers are looking at second and ter secondary and tertiary markets more so than they ever have before and a lot of that is because people don't have to work in seattle anymore they don't have to work in san francisco they can you know they can they started working remote and all of a sudden their their companies are fully embracing that or they're going to come to your small town that has a great pizza place that makes their kids feel at home. They're going to take up shop there. They're going to realize they can start their own business there. Right. So having a good, you know, mix of retail, having a good mix of businesses, having a great downtown, all of this is making it to where, you know, all of a sudden people are taking a look at your community like they never have before. Right. Just a, a big push for, for rule right now and in the country, uh, especially from a national retailer's perspective, you know, and some something maybe we'll get into here in a little bit is is talking about that. You know, historically, cities that are trying to attract retailers, they might be reaching out to a a real estate director, someone who's really involved in real estate. But now, with these secondary tertiary markets kind of emerging, we're starting to see that cities need to start figuring out a way to stand out to the CFOs, the folks that are looking at the financials of of what is a good store not just a store. And so, so maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but, but the rule, the rule reemergence really is just taking off right now. Let's talk about that. How do they stand out to the CFOs? Well, that's, that's a great question. So, you know, one, one thing that, that I get asked quite a bit is should we offer incentives, right? And so incentives are, are pretty much their dirty world word in what we do, but, you know, incentives are often considered, you know, a lot, a lot of times by cities are considered a uh, a money a money incentive right a cash incentive but i really look at incentives in two different buckets right money and time and so if you if you start to think about if i'm a cfo i'm going to care more about a a profitable location uh more so than i care about just the location right Re directors of real estate most of them get a commission for as many as many locations as they can get open they get a commission on right and so they're very excited to open locations Whereas the CFO doesn't want to be closing locations on the back end, right? So one thing that cities can do, especially in a rural market, is understand, you know, what can we do from a from an incentive standpoint for time, right? So how can we get folks to get through our entitlement process quicker? Or how can we get through, how can we make an incentive that new permits coming in for new businesses is something that we're going to put uh, a better focus on, a higher focus on? So all of these things now when I'm a CFO looking at two different locations, I've got a more expensive location in XYZ city that I don't know how quick I'm gonna get through the permitting process. Or I've got this other city here that I know in six months, I'm gonna be open and I'm gonna be returning on that investment, right? So 
this is a more profitable location for me, the smaller one, because the I'm able to get through that process a little bit quicker, right? Or there's a guaranteed uh, time incentive from the city. So that's something that you can do to to catch that CFO's eye and, and make them understand that, look, you know, I understand you might want this primary market, you might want this A real estate, but there's going to be a lot more hurdles to jump through in that city versus my my city here where we've got this opportunity where we can, you know, quickly make everything available, quickly get through the, you know, entitlement process, stuff like that. Right. Get to the point where the the store is, is making money. So that, sure. yeah, that makes sense. That's a, I think that's a good description of two different kinds of incentives, financial and time. I hadn't thought of time as being an incentive, but yeah, if you can offer a company the ability to they meet their deadlines, you'll meet your deadlines, and boom, they're off to the races. Sorry. And if I could add on that, I'd say that, you know, in a lot of my conversations over the past decade, cities are often afraid to give away money incentives, which I actually think is rightfully so. But I'll tell you, most developers I talk to, they're not afraid of the money, they're afraid of the time, right? And so right. while cities are worried about the money, developers are worried about the time. Most developers in their performa, they're going to add city fees. But what they can't add is when they can break ground and when they can cut ribbons and stuff like that, right? So if you're a city thinking about how we can really be more attractive and business friendly and, and attractive developers as well, think about that time and, and just ensuring them that, that you're going to move through the process quicker. So a city that is known, you know, within its region or its area, the development process is slow, they're going to be less attractive than a community that is fast or smaller, a smaller market, but fast, right? Sure. Oftentimes there's, um, you know, there's, there's the, the attractive city in the region. There's a city that everybody already wants to locate in. Every retailer wants to be in. They probably have a reason to be slower. And I would argue the case that, that every city needs to work on their speed and their time through the process. But, but for those cities, you know, what I see this a lot, especially in California, I see a lot of regional organizations, a lot of regional representation, right? Like you'll go to these shows and, and you've got the, the high desert area or you've got the Imperial Valley area. And there's nothing wrong with this, right? Like we have to, these smaller markets, these regional markets have to attract eyes to their markets somehow. But what we see more than ever is, is even inside that regional group, like you need to know who your neighbors are and what incentives they offer. And you've also got to know where you're at in the pecking order to understand like, okay, if, if I'm a nice retailer looking in, in this market, of course I want to go where there's more people, where there's more co-tenancy, where there's, where there's more and more and more, right? But again, back to the point of the CFO, but if the CFO hears that there's this smaller community that the drive time is going to pick up that bigger community as well, and by the way, that property is a third of the price. And, you know, the city seems to be moving through things quickly. They're responsive, right? Like all of these things. Well, now the CFO, I've got to look at it and say, well, I know we want to be in that bigger market. But the truth is our drive time from this smaller market is going to capture that bigger market anyway. And we're going to be open. We can start guaranteeing, you know, that we're returning on some of that investment, right? So, so I think the regional approach is great. But I also think even inside of your region, like no know where you can better your neighbors, right? It, it, it's You compete against the bigger regions, but then inside of your region, there's kind of like a, a smaller competition from city to city as well. And I also imagine that, you know, um, a lot of smaller cities, like you said, band together as regions to go out and, and attract and, and do it, go to shows that way and, and, you know, work that way. 
Is there a downside or are there any problems for cities when they're, other than the ones we've already discussed, are there any problems for cities specifically related to marketing themselves as a region as opposed to an individual distinct? Well, yeah, you're, you're, Trust plays a factor, right? Like you are, you are at the mercy of those that that are going to represent you, and and so are they going to be talking about the low hanging fruit, which is going to be the bigger, easier city, easier to help resellers understand where they're located. Help, you know, I mean, if I'm Fresno, or if I'm if I'm going as a group of Fres, you know, in the Fresno market, like everyone knows where Fresno is for the most part, right. because everyone knows where Sanger is, right? So right. Sanger is wanting to be represented by the Fresno group they're going to often be lost in in the fold right and so unless it's a retailer that it's like hey we want to do four in your region we want to do four in your area and we just can't find the real estate well boom 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 now you're gonna have the opportunity right so it it comes up when do you get the spotlight on your community and that regional you know focus and a lot of times regional players focus a lot on the the industrial impact the industrial recruitment and not so much on on retail and so retail is just kind of the the left behind thought or the it's going to organically happen anyway right so so what what we see is it's okay to to represent yourself reasonably again against some of the bigger regions but even inside of your region just be smarter be better know your neighbors trust your neighbors but then make sure that someone's there telling you right i think that's important we do see how easy it is you know here in texas i'm in the houston region and and there's the greater houston partnership and they go out and recruit for the region and you know, what do they do? They bring back projects for Houston because, you know, it's easier, right? It's great question. So one thing that, that, yeah, well, again, you know, there's some of the obvious stuff, but what, what I like to do, especially when I'm working with the city and anytime I, I partner with the city, one thing that I love to do is, is kind of help them perfect their elevator pitch, right? So especially with, we're going to go to trade shows, actually, March 8th is ICSC Monterey. This will be in, in 2020, I was headed to ICSC Monterey when, when all trade shows ended. So we were on the plane, about to board the plane for Monterey and they all ended, right? So this is kind of a fun, fun, we're getting back out there. But so we've got ICSC Monterey coming up, right? And, and there's ICSCs all over the country. There's retail live. There's a lot of great shows, but you know, I get asked all the time, should we as a city go to these shows, right? And I'll be honest, I've been doing this for a decade. Cities are still the gnats at these shows, right? Retailers don't overly want to talk to cities, and it's because their elevator pitch is broken. A lot of the cities get in front of a, a retailer, and they want to tell them about their skate parks, and they want to tell them about their splash pads, and and you know how the school district did, and you know whatever. And, and it's like that. That's great, and retailers will will smile and they'll give you the courtesy, but that does not that does not get to that CFO, right? That does not get that doesn't strike a chord with them, and so. What I like to do is I like to help cities work on their elevator pitch. And so the, the first thing that I always say, and, and a lot of this comes from me just standing next to cities when they're giving an elevator pitch and you go, that's, that's not great, right? So number one is humble yourself in the conversation, right? So how do you humble yourself in the conversation? No matter the size of your community, don't expect anybody to know where you're located and don't be offended or off put when they don't know who you are. A great example our headquarters in Birmingham, Alabama. So anytime I'm about to fly to Birmingham, I'll ask Siri, hey Siri, you know, what's the temperature this week in Birmingham? Well, it took me about three trips to realize that every time I asked that, she was giving me the weather, weather for Birmingham, Michigan, not Birmingham, Alabama, right? So when I got oh, there right. with too big of a coat or, you know, so, so 
a great example, but don't expect everybody to know where Birmingham is. Don't expect everyone to know which Birmingham you are, right? And, and I, I, I want to reemphasize this. Remember that you as a city, as an economic developer, for the most part, you call this place home. You think about it every day, but the person you're pro- talking to probably doesn't. So in that small amount of time, that elevator pitch, you have to educate your audience on where you're located. A lot of times a city or I'll hear a city say uh, they want to avoid well-known landmarks that are in neighboring cities, right? Don't do that. If you're close to the, if you're close to Yosemite, say we're, we're an hour and a half from Yosemite, right? If you're close to NASA, right? Don't, don't say, don't avoid that because it's not in your city. These are big landmarks that help people understand where you're at. One other thing for cities, as far as humbling yourself, mentioning the county doesn't typically help narrow it down for the average person, right? When you tell me you're from Tulare County, or when you're, you know, if I tell you I'm from Tarrant County, or I live in Tarrant County, you might, you might know where that is. But for the most part, most people don't, right? And so to close up the point on humbling yourself in, in the conversation, it's often overlooked, but, but get your city, get your anyone that's going to go to a trade show or not, anyone that might meet with prospective businesses. Once you do figure out how you want to equate people and educate them on where you're located, get the rest of your city on board and bought into telling the same story as well, right? And I think that's incredibly important. If you're going to go through the exercise of, of kind of putting together a great elevator pitch for your city, man, anyone else that's going to be representing your city, whether that's in city hall, whether that's outside, try and help get them to buy into the story as well. So, so that's my first point is to humble yourself and make the conversation help educate people on where you're at. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. The next piece is we're telling this, right, this elevator pitch to a retailer is to deconstruct your morning commute, right? So oftentimes cities are, you know, city managers, economic development directors, they might take the same street to and from work every day. They might just zone out and get to work. But man, open your eyes and, and think about what are all the traffic drivers that you're driving past in your market on the way to and from work? So I always say to ask yourself, what are those big traffic drivers in the market? Oftentimes, these are the things that might cause a headache to the locals. So traffic cones, cranes, you know, all these things that might be loud, that might be in our way on our drive to work. And they're also really good signs of growth. And they're really good signs of, of, you know, things that you might want to be cluing in to retailers to let them know that things are going on in your market. Some of these things that you might drive past on a daily basis, did your McDonald's just get renovated. If that, if so, when I say McDonald's, I say any any restaurant in your market, especially from a national perspective, if you have a restaurant, a QSR in your market that's been renovated, that means that it was producing well enough that the national, the corporate entity said, this is doing so well, let's put some more money into it, right? That second drive-through lane, that, that's a huge sign that they couldn't get enough mouth through you know, through the drive-through. And so, so these are things that we drive past every morning and we think, oh man, there's so many people and the Chick-fil-A line, it's causing traffic. And those are things you want to work into your elevator pitch. <laughs> Other things that you might drive past, did you pass any Fortune 100 or 500 companies or corporate locations on your way to work this morning? Not everyone's going to have a Fortune 100 or 500 company in their, in their community. I'm very well aware of that. But who is your, your Fortune company? Who is your big company? Who is your big employer, right? Here's a free tip to that. And partner with them as well. I'm working in a market in Northern California where... We've got a great partnership with a hospital, with a clinic that has 
been able to turn over to us clinic visit data, right? So their clinics on average see over 500 people a day. Well, if I'm going to talk to a retailer about being a co-tenant to that clinic, don't you think that's a great story to tell, right? And then another thing, make mental note of the available properties that you pass when you're, when you're driving, right? So are the available areas that you're driving listed on LoopNet? Go to loopnet.com and search your city for, for properties and make sure that those are listed. That's how national commercial real estate folks are looking at your market to see if you're, you've got availability. Are there nice, clean, visible signs that say for lease or for oftentimes when we drive through a market, I look for the ratty rundown pattern sign because that one's been sitting there forever and no one cares about it. So that's, that's point number two. We have humble yourself in the conversation. And number two is deconstruct your morning commute. That, those make like that? perfect sense. Yeah, those are great. I, I can see how, yeah, that'd be really helpful. So what's point three? Okay, okay. I've got four points total. So, okay. All right. So third point, this one uh, is a little tougher for some markets, but don't hide the obvious. Embrace and market the truth uh, in your market and put your best foot forward, right? This is kind of like creating an online dating profile. Lead with a better picture of yourself, right? And understand that as you date, they're going to find skeletons. Let's not lead with that in our bio, right? But even this, as I give you some examples, I think you'll see where I'm going with this. You know, there's a great show that my wife likes to watch. It's called Fixer Upper. It's filmed in Waco, Texas, right? Just down the street from, from where we live. We, we live out here in Fort Worth. So it's, it's about an hour and a half south. Nowhere in the city's logos are the silos. And I think that's a huge myth. And I love the folks in Waco. They're doing a great job. But man, that is, that's like Vanilla Ice not wanting to sing Ice Ice Baby anymore, right? Like he, right. he hates talking about Ice Ice Baby. I also just read a story, the, the lady from, I can't remember her name now, but the lady from My Girl, the, the movie we all watched growing up, she hates talking about that role. And she's, she's advanced beyond that in her life. I get it, but that's what made you to all of us, right? So, so as a city, apply this to yourself as well. What are those things in your market um, that you should be talking about? A great example, uh, we mentioned this just a second ago, is hospitals, right? Hospitals obviously uh, can be a big employer, but what else can they be a proxy for? Hospitals oftentimes equal affluent workers. Affluent workers equal daytime population looking to eat lunch. Uh, also late night lunches or late night dinners as well. Another proxy for uh, hospitals, is patients staying overnight. If patients are staying overnight, obviously restaurants need late night options, but family visitors are needing a place to stay as well, right? So when you have things like hospitals, when you have things that are pulling people overnight or pulling people there early morning, these are things that go into your pitch based on who you're talking to, right? Like if you're talking to a Denny's, they definitely want to know about those types of things. One that's often overlooked or kind of hidden is prisons. Prisons have the same effect as a hospital, right? So stressful work equals leave for meals when I can, right? For the workers. But also uh, if, <laughs> the, the prison customers, if you will, they stay overnight, right? So their families that are visiting, they often need a place to stay as well. And I can't tell you how many communities, especially in California that I work with that have a prison that kind of want to be sheepish about it and kind of want to hide the fact they have a prison when it's like, and that's, that's oftentimes a thousand to two thousand jobs. That's that's need for late night and and you know it, it's a tourism draw for lack of a better term, right. right? And and so so that just is what it is. Don't hide from that type of stuff. Embrace it. So these are all things okay. that they're like you said they're they're hiding from these things because they think these are their skeletons. When in fact these are their you know these are their good bones. These are the things that are gonna that are gonna bring business. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Here's an example of a skeleton that, that I would avoid in my bio or in my elevator pitch. Again, 
I'm, I'm going on and on. These elevator pitches, you got to keep them. They're called an elevator pitch. I think it's obvious. But, you know, one of our big trade shows is, is in Las Vegas, ICSD Las Vegas. It was called ICSD Recon. Now it's called Las Vegas. So that'll be in May. And, and I can't tell you, I, I've been playing blackjack. I've been seriously on an elevator. And someone's like, oh, what do you do? And, and I've got 30 seconds to tell them what I do. And then they're going to jump off their floor, right? That's where the term elevator pitch comes from. But it's real in our industry for sure. And so I'm giving a lot of stuff here, but man, you got to pack this stuff down into 30 to 45 seconds and, and really tell the story of your community. So, so, so we went, you know, we talked about hiding the obvious and, and embracing that market truth, a, a skeleton that, that is often something that, that I wouldn't talk about. You know, I, I had a market that I, you know, I think the, it was like the target was, was in this parking lot and there was a terrible curb cut or something. It was something that, just was not the most easy ingress, egress, accessibility. It was, it was something that a retailer would probably be bothered by. But my take is always let them fall in love with the market and let them get approval on the market. And then they're going to figure out how to work with a the developer. They're going to figure out how to make, you know, get Caltrans or, or text out on the phone. Like, don't lead with the stuff that's going to be hurdles they, right, they can right. overcome that they just don't want to that makes sense okay so one what the the fourth one the fourth uh item in your elevator pitch is what incentives do you offer incentives are a dirty word in our business for many reasons but you need to know if your city especially your city council offers them who specifically they are for and what they are obviously eminem reminded us all on super bowl sunday that you only get one shot one opportunity uh, this is true in, in recruiting your city and, and giving you your elevator pitch so Here's some, some ideas for how to start the incentives conversation inside City Hall. I break down incentives into two main buckets, money and time. Money is much more of a dirty, a, the, dirty the dirty portion of the dirty word. Um, but I, I hear all the time, well, for the right retailer, we would offer them an incentive or we'd give them the, but they can't ever define who that right retailer is. Right, right? they can't define so what that is. Defined. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... So cities are often afraid to give away money incentives. And if that's the case in your city, you should start to think about what time incentives you can offer. Because the truth is, while most cities agonize over money, because for a lot of reasons, right, it, it's money, but it, we've also got existing businesses that we didn't give this money to. So how is that fair, right? So most cities agonize about the money they're going to give away. Most developers are afraid of the time they're going to give away. So the tip that I would give when you start talking time, you have now extended into a hierarchy inside the retail corporate offices beyond real estate. So this is where we start to get the attention of the CFO. So bringing that back full circle. Now, when we're talking time, we're able to get in front of those CFOs. Real estate directors are, as we mentioned, going to try and open as many locations as possible, while CFOs want to open as many profitable locations as possible. Some things that you can control from a time standpoint might be the permitting process, expediting that permitting process. I see a lot of cities that say, you know, if it's new business, if it's a new retailer, we're going to get them through the process quick. One little caveat I'll put in there too. A lot of people look at, you know, back to the, the QSR, quick service restaurant example. A lot of people look at that and say, hey, look, we'll incentivize for, we want to incentivize for a McDonald's or a Burger King or, or one of these national QSRs. Well, keep in mind that these, National QSRs are oftentimes, especially in the secondary or tertiary market, they're oftentimes one of your local neighbors that has stepped up to buy a franchise, right? 
And so when oftentimes I hear in conversations like ignoring these corporate organizations, these, these national retailers, but who is the one that's operating? Who's the one giving those jobs to your community? Yes, it's owned by McDonald's and they have, they have, you know, they have some corporate support, but man, oftentimes that can be Susie from down the street right, who decided exactly. to, to, uh-huh. to buy that yeah. Jimmy John's, right? So I think that's oftentimes I hear shop local. Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes local might be, you know, it might not be the donut shop down the street, but it's, it's the Dunkin' Donuts franchisee who stepped up, right? So that was a, a tangent. And then returning outreach promptly. That's another thing that you can do to show you're serious about time, right? I, I can't stress this enough that, I'll, you know, I hear all the time in the planning department, that it just takes forever for a retailer, for a developer to, to reach out to the city and get any type of a, a quick return, right? And, and just eat, something that says, hey, we're working on this, we'll get it back to you. We're, you know, whatever, but it's just like it falls on deaf ears. So uh, a return outreach prompt, whether it's a phone call or an email, let them know that you're working on it. Obviously, I think a lot of people know different money incentives, but you know, you know some things that maybe aren't cash in- incentives would be reducing the costs for the permitting process. So you can expect the, the time, but you want to reduce the cost as well. And then, you know, another big piece that I always like to talk to students about is acquire and buy land, control what land you can control. That so helps the, the process on the back end when, when we're going to try and, and negotiate with property owners and stuff like that. So the, the tip here is know what your neighboring cities offer as well and work to beat them on timing, especially if you're in a more rural community. And, and again, back to, you know, buttoning up this, this process here with the elevator pitch is if you know you're going to offer incentives, then man, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to announce that. Don't be afraid to let that be part of your elevator pitch as well. And again, control those incentives in a way that it's, it's fine that everyone has these incentives, right? Then that way you don't have to worry about who you're talking to, what you're telling them, stuff like that. Wow, Matthew, you have blown my mind. You've given me more information about this entire process than I, you know, than I was expecting and that I, you know, realized I didn't even know. So this is good. This has been excellent. I would imagine that many of our listeners, you know, are going to have not heard this before and, you know, want to maybe reach out to you to find out, you know, more about this maybe open a dialogue with retail strategies, maybe just pick your brain a little bit, you know, try to get some free advice. What is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Tate. I go by Matthew professionally. So uh, I try and stand out a little bit from all the maths out there, but um, you can just reach out to me via email, mtate at retailstrategies.com. And again, you know, I think, thank you for asking that question, Dane. This is, the elevator pitch, this is what retail strategy does. We, we, we leverage data and analytics to learn your community. We become your storytellers and then we go to trade shows and we tell your story, right? So I just, you know, I love, we love as a company to educate cities. Well, like I said, this has been fascinating. I've learned more than, you know, I, I ever realized I didn't know about retail recruitment. At the, here at the county level in Texas, you know, it's all about property taxes. So I don't have any, you know, need to deal with this on a daily basis, but my cities do, and it's good to understand it and it's good to get some idea. And I've, you know, I always hear about retail strategies, various communities hiring you guys. So that's, that's excellent. I know that you have a couple of resources that you wanted to share with the listeners. Yeah, you know, a couple of different things that we offer that for anybody who might be listening and, and say, you know, look, I, I love, I'm actually going to a show or I'd like to go to an upcoming show. 
what do I knew, what do I need so I don't go naked, right? And so we offer what we call a gap analysis. The gap analysis is free, free from our, all we ask is for a phone call. If you shoot me an email, I can direct it to the right part of the country as well as we have folks that work all over the country in the same capacity as me. And we just give that to you. It's, got, it's also going to be embedded with some data and analytics as well, because data and analytics are, are good. They matter. And so it's something that we like to share and, and kind of get those conversations rolling. Well, good. I hope that all of our listeners take you up on this. I know I have some communities that I'm going to tell to, to be in contact with you. But, but yeah, I, I really appreciate the, the chance to get on and, and chat here. And, and yeah, man, I, I, again, I, I'd love for any of your, your listeners, if, if they're interested in a gap analysis or, or if they just want to chat about their elevator pitch. I love, I love this kind of stuff. I love the education, the free part of it. Like I don't, I don't have to get in a partnership with someone to, to help them with their elevator pitch. And so, so anyone out there listening, I, I'd be happy to, to just, to just get on there and, and chat about your elevator pitch and tell you where I think it's bad. And, and you can tell me what you think is bad about my, my uh, points. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Matthew, it's been great talking to you today. Best of luck. I hope to, you know, run into you one of these days. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're, we're down there all the time in your market and uh, we've got a bunch of communities around you as well. So I really appreciate the, the, the opportunity. And, and I've been listening to a lot more of your podcasts ever since Alice, Alice Brown turned me on to it from North Central Washington. And I was like, Oh, I guess I better check it out. And I, I really appreciate what you do. I think it's awesome. Well, good. Well, thank you very much. Talk to you later. Thanks, Great to meet you, man. You too. All, all right. right. Bye. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.